I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Loading. It's a text document, iPad. Come on. <laughs> what are we waiting for? What's going on? Why is it still loading? 75 years later. You made me add a PDF. A PDF! Like a primitive! With that being said, my PDF has loaded. Thank you, PDF. This is an episode of Decoding the Unknown. Welcome, welcome. What happens here if you're new? We're talking about the Bell Witch. Love an episode that talks about witches, because witches, as we all know, are definitely real. <laughs> This episode is written by Katie. Thank you, Katie, the format here. If you're new to the podcast, the show, it's on YouTube as well. If you're just listening to this and you'd like to look at my face, it's also available on YouTube. Yes. And if you're on YouTube and you don't want to look at my face, it's available as a podcast. Yes. Or you can get YouTube Premium. And then you can... They, one of the, I'm sorry, we're getting into the episode in a second. There's two reasons I got YouTube Premium. One is to support create... Ah, <laughs> please. No, so I don't have to look at Masterclass adverts anymore. Like, if some dude told me how to cook a brisket one more time, I was just going to shoot myself. It was unbelievably annoying. It's like, I'm going to teach you how to cook the perfect brisket. And I'm like, oh my god, dude. I like brisket as much as the next carnivore. But dude, please stop. And uh, what was the other reason? Oh yeah, so I can turn the phone off and listen to episodes. I've never read this before that's the format of the show we're going to explore the bell witch together what a thrill let's go The subject of today's episode is the Bell Witch, apparently America's greatest ghost story. Due to the amount of interest it received at the time, and still does to this day. I guess not being American, I have no idea what this is. I've never heard of the Bell Witch. All the Americans are like, Simon, you never heard of the Bell Witch? That's the most famous witch of all the witches. Forget that one from the Wizard of Oz. The Bell Witch is where it's at. Presidents have been involved, shape-shifting and alarming activity occurred, and the head of the family may even have been murdered by said witch. Sounds spooky. Let's go. The Bell Family The Bell Witch got its name from the fact that it terrorized the Bell Family in their Red River home from 1817 to 1821. Rather appropriately, because it sounds like they made it up, so it should be named after them. <laughs> Alright, Simon, keep the skepticism in check. You can do it. Katie's always like, Simon, try to keep an open mind. And I'm like, I do, but it's all... <laughs> we know witches aren't real. John Bell Sr., the head of the family, bought the house and some land in what is currently Adams, Tennessee in the early 19th century. It seems he was quite a wealthy man as eventually his family owned over 300 acres. That is a lot of land. I'm like, <laughs> I think I've got a big garden and it's like half an acre. <laughs> I don't think it's even that. It might be. I'm not sure what an acre is. Hey Siri, how big is an acre in square meters? Okay, so you obviously don't know either. Well, I got like a quarter of an acre. <laughs> <laughs> he and his wife Lucy had eight children and also owned several slaves. Well then, it was, the past was the worst, which was the norm for rich white landowners at the time. Some of the older children had moved out by the time the happenings took place, but several still lived in the Bell family house, and the people most affected were the youngest daughter, Elizabeth, commonly known as Betsy, and John Bell Sr. himself. The Strange Story of the Bell Witch one day in 1817, John Bell was just poodling around outside, checking his many hundreds of acres and looking for a reason to beat his slaves, allegedly, when he saw a strange animal lurking amongst his crops. That sounds like a reason to beat your slaves. It's like I saw a strange animal. It stressed me out. How am I going to allow my stress? Beating my slaves. The part. I made that up. 
but I mean the past was the worst. It probably could have happened. It was very large, with the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit. As with all such bizarre creatures, see our episode on Skinwalker Ranch, for instance, whenever anyone comes across a large or weird-looking thing, their first instinct is to shoot at it. So that's what John Bell did, but of course he missed, or the bullets passed right through it, or or whatever, and then it disappeared. It's like, yeah, yeah, the mist. Can you imagine John Bell's just, no, I'm such a good shot. What happens? It's like, well, I didn't miss. Bullets just went straight through it. It was magical. <laughs> like, go into the shooting range. What happened? You didn't hit the target at all. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, I hit the target many times. Uh, the bullets just traveled straight through the target. Um, Yeah, that's, that's what happened. <laughs> John Bell. The uh, reason I'm emphasizing Bell there is because in English, in England, it's slang. Um, it's short for bellend, which is an insult. So to call someone a bell um, is is short for calling them a bellend, which is, uh, as I said, it's an insult. Did I just say that twice? It's not really necessary. Let's move on. I'm not sure if that means it vanished before his eyes or just ran away, but in either case, he didn't see it again. One of Bell's sons also reported having seen a huge unknown bird on their property, and an enslaved man called Dean apparently saw a huge black dog or a wolf a few times, and sometimes it had two heads. All right, Dean. Steady on. And sometimes it had no heads, which seems even less likely than two heads, but there you go. Yeah, two heads I feel is like vaguely possible. You know, what if there was some, you know, some Siamese wolf or something like that? Is Siamese, you can't say Siamese anymore, can you? You can't say conjoined, sorry. Conjoined wolf with no head. Well, it doesn't have a brain, does it? So it's not going to work very well. Although there was that Mike the Headless Chicken, which was a chicken that survived like 18 months after having its head chopped off. Apparently, like, a little bit of its brain stem survived in its neck, so it could still like walk around and shit. Which, uh, that sounds, that sounds miserable. If, you, if you've ever got that, and you're like, oh, it's just, just finish it off, all right? And then have dinner. Come on. Shortly after John Bell saw the rabbit dog thing, the whole family started hearing banging noises coming from outside and around their house. These noises got louder as the days went on, and despite the family popping out every now and then to try and surprise the culprit, nobody was ever seen. The strangeness then started moving into the family home, with the children complaining that they could hear things like chains being dragged around, horrible choking noises and rats gnawing on their bedposts, but nothing was there. Oh, I get so creeped out by this. Sometimes I'm, I have like a little holiday house out in the countryside, and there's nothing, like there's nothing around it. It's just in the middle of the woods. And like, I'll wake up in the night and you hear like tap, 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 and you're like, what is that? And they're like, it's just rain. <laughs> just rain on the roof or like i was staying there by myself once and i heard this like sound coming from the attic I'm like, oh god what is that and it was mice and then i killed them all great story simon thanks for that but it is so creepy like if i'm in the city like i live in the city most of the time and if i if you hear something you're like oh it's just people because you're in a city there's loads of people around there's I, I i know crime is higher in the city obviously it is because there are people around but it's way less scary <laughs> i don't know why like being out in the middle of nowhere by yourself you're like oh i'm gonna get murdered even though there's no one out there i find this extra creepy as i was once staying the night in an old farm building in asia and i could hear rodents scrabbling about on the other side of the ceiling above me oh i hate that consequently i couldn't sleep a wink in case the ceiling caved in and i got covered in rats so yeah, I can sympathize on this one. Uh, I, I don't have any fear that my ceiling is going to cave in when I'm like hearing the uh, uh, the rats rattle around in the attic. Uh, they're not rats, they're mice, which is also less terrifying. Well, we're staying there with my family. And uh, have I told this story before? Like we're staying there for like a week. You know, we go out there sometimes. And uh, my wife just wakes up in the night. She comes to me and she's like, there was a mouse in my bed. And we have a baby. She's like, we can't stay here if there are mice. Because I looked up on Google 
and they have all sorts of diseases. And I was like, oh, relax. And then I looked it up on Google. I was like, all right, we're leaving. <laughs> and uh, so I came back the next day and I came back with many, many mousetraps. And my father-in-law was like, mousetraps aren't going to work, Simon. Like, they, I've had mousetraps down in my cellar for years and I've never caught any of the mice down there. And I was like, well, let's just see how it goes. So I put out like 12, 12 mousetraps. I came back like three days later. There were 10 f***ing mice with their little heads bombed in the thing. And I've definitely told this story before. Maybe it wasn't on this podcast. But I remember because people were like, Simon, you didn't use, use humane traps. And I was like, nah. And they were like, are you going to use humane traps in the future? And I was like, nah, nah, I'm not going to. Because I live about an hour away from that place and uh i uh, would it, i'd rather not starve the mice to death um so no because that would make a humane trap less humane also if i just put them out in the garden they're gonna come back into the bloody house aren't they should just smash their faces in with them and it's like you think my mousetrap oh yeah it just cleanly breaks their neck oh boy does it not <laughs> for anyone who has not used a mousetrap it is it's not messy but it's like it's not nice great tangent simon now everyone's just gonna hate you because you seem to love torturing animals rather than people seem to think oh if you're killing animals it's like no i'm removing pests like a big wasp's nest grew in that house and a man came in and killed it and i was talking all day about the wasp genocide that's gonna happen and it happened you monster fact boy in the traditional poltergeist styley the children's bedclothes were also pulled around and lifted off them and it seemed betsy in particular bore the brunt of the being's attention and was slapped pinched and had her hair pulled in what is probably not a 100 percent accurate retelling of events dean the slave apparently also said that he was turned into a mule <laughs> what we're now referring to as the witch holy shit, dean the other guys are like, there's a big creature in the woods and I shot it and my bullets went through it and Dean's like, it turned me into a mule. John Bell is like, oh, shut up, Dean. Don't make me beat you again. I'm guessing this was only a temporary transformation. Otherwise, it might have been a bit more well known. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, no, I got changed me back from a mule. What's that terrifying children's movie where they're all playing billiards and smoking cigars? Is it Dumbo? I feel like it's Dumbo for some reason. And they get turned into donkeys. That scared the shit out of me as a kid. I hated that. Thus far, the Bells had been keeping their witchy worries to themselves, but after a while, the voice of the spirit that was haunting them started to actually make itself heard. Some of the Bells' neighbors also experienced the noises and voices for themselves, and soon after that word spread, people came from far and wide to check out the mass hysteria. The voice was a woman's and would quote loudly from the Bible and also carry on conversations with people in the house. There were several examples of the witch being able to be in multiple places at once. For instance, people asked it questions about what other relatives were doing, and the witch would answer in the relative's accent or say a phrase only the family would know about. The witch also quoted word for word two different sermons being held at the same time by different churches miles apart. All of this would be incredible if it were true. It's just a story. Of course, being able to talk to the spirit opens the doorway to finding out who they are and what they're up to. And ah yes, the old disturbed Native American burial site was chucked out as a reason for the spirit terrorizing the bells. A bit cliche, man. Maybe, but this was over 200 years ago, so it's quite an original idea back then. The other name that's been given to the Bell Witch is Kate, 
or Kate Batts, as the disgruntled spirit of a former neighbor of the Bells who had been in a land dispute with John Bell prior to her death. We'll go digging into this story a bit later, so bear with me for now. Whatever her real name, the witch was a constant verbal and physical abuser in the Bell household for several years. Poor Betsy Bell was engaged to someone called Joshua Gardner, but this was eventually called off as the witch would harangue her about the relationship and generally bully her so much that she had to keep leaving the house to get some respite. The witch would apparently still follow her to neighbors' houses, but wasn't as physically abusive while she was there. Probably because there were other witnesses. Ah! Eventually, Tennessee-based General Andrew Jackson. Is that Andrew Jackson? Like, he was president, right? Like, President Andrew Jackson? Is that who would go on to be the seventh president of the USA? Yes! Heard about the Bell Witch and decided to go check it out. <laughs> He's like, oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> There's an old sign about the witch up near the school in Adams, and amongst other details about the story, it states, Even Andrew Jackson, who came to investigate, retreated to Nashville after his coach wheels stopped mysteriously. According to the story, the general and his crew set off to see what all the fuss was about sometime in 1819. As they approached the house, Jackson's coach wheels stopped, and nothing could get the vehicle moving again. Jackson supposedly shouted in a nice, quotable turn of phrase, By the eternal boys! That must be the Bell Witch. All of this just sounds super made up, doesn't it? <laughs> it just does! Happy at being recognized, the witch spoke up and said that they could pass. The company set up camp somewhere near the Bell home, and one of Jackson's crew started mouthing off about how he had a silver bullet that could kill the witch. Cue the witch dragging him around by the nose, beating him up, and kicking him out of the camp. <laughs> Should've used that silver bullet, shouldn't he? The witch then said there was another fraud in Jackson's group, and that she'd root them out the next night. Instead of this happening, everyone left, with Jackson once again again, dropping a nice quotation of, I had rather face the entire British army than to spend another night with the Bell Witch. <laughs> Alright, again, I, I hate to reiterate myself for like the fourth time, but when there are quotes that are that spot on, you know, they're, they're, they're not real. They're usually made up. It's, you know, where you hear quotes from people. You know, the famous quotes that people say to each other and are like, well, Einstein says this, and it's like, yeah, but he didn't. <laughs> It's just from some old book or something. The real target of the Bell Witch's attention was John Bell, the patriarch of the family. She would call him Old Jack and threaten to kill him on a regular basis. And according to the story, she may have actually succeeded. In October 1820, three years after the witch first made her presence known, John Bell was in bad health and was spending a lot of time in bed. So it was either the witch or the bad health that killed him, wasn't it? Maybe it was the health. Maybe it was the health thing. The witch didn't give any respite, constantly yelling at him and moving his shoes if he tried to leave the house. Sounds like John Bell just doesn't remember where he left his shoes. Eventually, John Bell became unresponsive and died on the 20th of December, 1820. When checking in the cupboard where his medicine was kept, the family found not the usual three bottles, but a single different bottle full of a dark-looking liquid. The witch started rejoicing and saying that she'd given John Bell a big dose of it in the night. And that had been what had killed him. As you do, the family gave a bit of the strange liquid to a cat, which died almost immediately. They then threw the bottle in the fire, where it burned in a flash of blue. Poor old John Bell wasn't left alone after death, with the witch disrupting his funeral by singing inappropriate drinking songs and generally seeming over the moon that she had got rid of him. How many witnesses are there to this sh I feel like this, this, it feels like a story, right, that has been told many years and put together many years after the events took place. That's the vibe I'm getting, because we don't have any, like, who's this being told by? Who's the narrator of this? I get the feeling that, because Katie often structures these mystery and then solution, and I get the feeling it's going to be like, in a second, we're going to find out what actually happens. Anyway, we'll get there. Don't worry. This isn't a ghost story. This isn't Simon Tells Ghost Stories and shit. 
it's all over them. This is decoding the unknown. There's going to be some decoding to be done. At least I hope so. We're only a third of the way in, so it would make sense. But it seems that after John Bell died, the witch didn't have much cause to hang around anymore. She left the Bells in 1821, promising to return in seven years. This was also the year that Betsy ended her engagement to Joshua Gardner due to the supernatural third wheel that had been harassing them the entire time. Betsy would go on to marry Richard Powell, who was 11 years older than her and used to be her teacher. Nice. <laughs> Classy move, teacher. Classy move. The witch actually did return to visit John Bell Jr. seven years later. As she had said, they hung out for a few weeks, and she told him all sorts of stuff about what was going to happen in the future, apparently predicting the Americans of a war of World Wars I and II. She then said she'd be back in 107 years, but maybe the family line was too diluted by then because no visitations were ever reported by Bell family members in the 1930s or beyond. All right. So that's the generalized version of events of the Bell Witch. As it's a legend, you may have heard slightly different details here and there, but I think that covers all of the main points. So, what is there to decode? Well, quite a lot. By the Eternal, let's get to it! Decoding the Witch. Let us start by trying to understand the whole witch phenomenon. It fits the definition of a poltergeist, a generally mischievous spirit that's known for making things fly around the room and causing a lot of noise. That does seem to be the thing that was bugging the bells, but can we attach any sort of rational explanation to it? On the face of it, the abuse and events suffered by the bells seems quite extreme. Physical attacks, objects being moved, even poison being administered. But let's just take a step back for a minute. While this is known as America's greatest ghost story or whatever, it happens back in 1817. The main information that we have about the events comes from a book, an authenticated history of the famous Bell Witch, the wonder of the 19th century, and unexplained phenomena of the Christian era. This title is one of those, you know, you know a book's old. Like, you know Robinson Crusoe or whatever? It had some crazy-ass title to begin with. It was like, The Adventures of Robinson Crusoe on an island that he discovers after being shipwrecked, and then he builds a big thing in the jungle, and he discovers that he can eat fish. Blah, 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 A novel. Back in the day, people thought titles had to be very detailed. Nowadays, it's just like, ghost, or whatever. Which is uh, much more compelling, apparently. So yeah, quite a mouthful. This seems to be the main source or starting point for a lot of the information out there about the Bell Witch today, seeing as how it's an authenticated history and all. And while, in a preface, Ingram states that he's just presenting the story as per the accounts of Richard Williams Bell, he still says that the information came from 56 years ago, which, given that his book was published in 1894, is still a good couple of decades after the events at the Bell family home. Richard Williams Bell was one of John Bell's sons, but he was only six when all the witch stuff kicked off. His writing of the events wasn't put down on paper until about 30 years later, and some people don't believe that it even exists. So, he is basing his authenticated history book on something that was written decades after the alleged events by a guy who claims to be one of the sons of the guy who experienced this. This is why it reads like a story, because it is a story. That's why. It wasn't just this account Ingram was using, though. He also used other corroborative testimony by men and women of irreproachable character and unquestionable veracity. Well, we've been questioning that veracity for a while, haven't we there, mate? Come on! He handily doesn't mention who they are, though, so I guess we'll just have to take his word for it. Martin V. Ingram was also a newspaper editor, hardly averse to a bit of sensationalism, and his book on the Bell Witch wasn't published until 1894, a whopping 73 years after the witch left the family alone. So, yeah, even though he states this 
story is recognized in every household as a historical truth, I'm going to stick my neck out here and say that the events that he wrote about were, at the very least, exaggerated. Yeah, it's just this has drifted so far from the truth that it's basically just pointless. Like, even eyewitness testimony it can't really be relied on. And when you're talking about the eyewitness testimony told to someone's son, who wrote it down decades after the event, which was then turned into a book more decades later with some other people that you apparently interviewed, although who could this be? I don't know. Is just like, you're just you're just writing nonsense at this point. That seems like it makes sense, but it doesn't. But we cannot deny that strange things were afoot at the Bell family home. How strange? Well, it's not clear, but this was a big deal at the time, so let's assume things were moving about, people were being hurt, and a disembodied voice was upsetting everyone around it, all right? <laughs> Gacy wants to assume a lot more than I would assume. I just think, yes, something weird went down. There's certain elements of historical fact in here, but the reality is it's hysteria. How can we rationalize these things, and should we? Yes, we should. <laughs> Can't we just shrug our shoulders and leave some things in the realm of the mysterious, happy to think that there are some things that cannot be explained? Well, sure, in some cases, but maybe not so much in this one. There are quite a few sticking points and suspicious characters that put the whole affair into question, so let's find out a bit more about that. I got a bit sidetracked when I started talking about poltergeists, so let's go back to them for a second. They seem to be a phenomenon that can't always be totally explained, although there are many real-world explanations for some examples of poltergeist activity. Electromagnetism, subterranean water shifts, meteorological conditions, and all kinds of other things can be reasons for what in the past might have been blamed on witches or devils. Yeah, in the past, because we didn't understand shit. There was uh, a family kill a goat to eat this goat, right? And then the next day, an earthquake hits the region. And then that family are like, yo, we killed that goat and then an earthquake came. We should worship goats. Because that's how people thought in the past, because they just didn't have the big brains of rational reasoning that we have today. Like, we know it's not related today. Some people might still think it's related. Today, I just call them dumb, because there's an overwhelming amount of evidence to the contrary. But like, back in the day, we'd, of course we'd look for things, to, because we don't like things being unexplained. Or maybe we do. But we try to find rational explanations for it, even if they turn out to be irrational by, like, modern minds. Mainly though, a lot of poltergeist stuff can be put down to hoaxes and tricks, with apparently even children being able to convince credulous adults that weird stuff is happening around them. I also think some it's not always intentional. It's not always just like hoaxes and tricks. It's hysteria. It's if you are told that a house is haunted and, you know, back in the day people are prone to believe this stuff, you'll be you'll start hearing things. Like if someone told me a house was haunted, I'm not gonna believe that. But let's stay with someone who's not quite as skeptical as me. They'll be like, yeah, I hear things in this house. I think it is. Because <laughs> you've been told. Poltergeist activity does seem to be centered on prepubescent or adolescent children a lot of the time, which has brought up theories of psychokinesis or being able to move things with your mind, consciously or subconsciously. Some people believe that trauma experienced by a young person can find an outlet in the realms of the psychokinetic. Basically, the pent-up emotion is what's causing things to fly around the room and people to levitate. Is it really true? It's not for me to poo-poo people's beliefs and things like this. While usually hoaxes, they aren't always totally explainable. Most of them are, though, which leads us to... And I'll just travel back there. Casey says it's not for me to poo-poo people's beliefs and things like that. No. Psychokinesis is not real. Emotionally pent-up children are not moving things around with their minds, consciously or subconsciously. That's a lot of twaddle. Don't believe it. If you believe it, you're a bit of a clown. <laughs> Who was behind the Bell Witch? 
If the witch was real, that's totally cool and everything, but then there'd be nothing to investigate. So let's go down the path of saying that she wasn't real. If she wasn't real, but people were hearing a voice and other noises, it must have been the work of someone or multiple someones. The voice has always been said to be a female, so let's look at the most obvious suspects. Kate Bats. Isn't that the name of the witch person? She was like, my name is Kate Bats, or whatever. Uh, according to Ingram's version of events, the witch identified herself as Kate Batts. Kate Batts and her husband, Frederick Batts, were neighbors of the Bells, and in future tellings, Kate had a bad relationship with John Bell, so she cursed him on her deathbed. And when she came back to haunt him, she ended up getting her revenge by poisoning him to death. <laughs> I feel like people who curse people on their deathbed... It's like, if I'm on my deathbed, I'm not thinking about all the people I want to curse. I'm trying to think about how nice my life was and all of that shit, rather than like, and curse you, John Bell, and your land dispute. Uh, it's like, if you're if you're really wired like that, you are a spiteful f Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Oh, when she came back to haunt him, she ended up getting her revenge by poisoning him to death. A result. Unfortunately, though, this suspect seems to have been given a bit of a bad rap. According to bellwitch.org, Kate Batts was related to the Bells. She was also John's wife's brother's child. What the f***? So her husband... Oh, uh, Lucy Bell's niece. <laughs> I'm lost. Uh, I, I don't like it when people say his wife, sons, brothers, kids, uncles, sons, nephews, cousin. Okay. I immediately get lost. I struggled. I went to a, a family funeral a couple of weekends ago. And I was just like, you know, you'd, you'd be chatting and whatever. And someone would be like, oh, and this person. I'm like, so you are the sister of this person's cousin's son. And you're like, okay. I'm lost, but thank you for explaining. <laughs> Husband Frederick was also related to the Bells, as one of his brothers was married to Lucy's sister. If this wasn't a bit too tight-knit for comfort, it then turns out that the person John Bell actually had a dispute with was Benjamin Batts, another brother of Frederick. This situation led to Bell being excommunicated from his local church, although no clear reason seems to have made it down through the years. Maybe it was to do with the evil spirit plaguing his house, but Bellwitch.org also mentions the more likely shady business dealings. <laughs> It's like, why did they throw you out of the church? It was either for fraud or the fact that my house is haunted. Let's just say it's because my house was haunted. Nothing to do with the fraud! Allegedly. Either way, it seems that Kate Batts has been erroneously linked to the Bell Witch story for all eternity. How could I be so sure? Well, we know that John Bell died at the end of 1820. His wife, Lucy, died in 1837. And according to probate information, old Kate Batts was still kicking until at least 1847. So how does the ghost of somebody do any haunting if they're not actually dead? Well, I'll tell you what, because it's been misreported. Because it's like, oh yeah, well, it was the brother, and he was annoyed at him, but it was... Okay, so the, it, everything just gets blurred through multiple retellings. It is the Chinese whispers of ghost stories. I suppose this could mean that a real, alive Kate Bats was messing with the bells, but there are no accounts of any beef between her and the family. And if she was suspected of mischief-making at the time, she probably would have been hounded out of town or declared a real witch or something, and that would have been a big part of the legend. The entity in the story is always presented as the ghost of a deceased person, but Kate Batts was very much alive at the time, so I think the details must have been added a long time after the actual events. So let's cross her off the list. Betsy Bell is up next. 
What of the main female subject of the witch's attention? Young Betsy Bell. She was physically, psychologically, and verbally abused by the witch, leading to her breaking off her engagement to Joshua Gardner and seeking refuge in other houses wherever she could with limited results. Could she have actually been the source of the witch's activity herself? As mentioned previously, a lot of so-called poltergeist activity centers around young children. It is possible that Betsy was orchestrating the whole thing. Possibly for attention, because she is a child. I have two children of my own. One thing they like is attention. They love that shit. <laughs> it feeds them like the little attention vampires they are. Was she perhaps being abused by her dad? And that's why they were both the main targets of the witch. Obviously, I'm just spitballing here and not accusing John Bell of anything. But hey, it's just a theory. It's not that hard to pretend you're being thrown around by an invisible force or to show marks and bruises that you say happened when no one else was around. Maybe she didn't want to get married to Joshua Gardner, but convention and her family dictated that she had to. She then invented the supernatural force to drive them apart. Good excuse, eh? She could have used ventriloquism for the voice of the witch. It's not likely that anyone would be paying very close attention to her mouth when all of this other stuff was going on. This was a popular form of entertainment in the 19th century, and the throwing your voice version to make it sound like voices were coming from somewhere else was more prevalent than the creepy dummy kind. Could Betsy have been practicing this and got really good at it? She was only 11 when it started, so she would have had to be some sort of voice-throwing prodigy, but hey, stranger things have happened. Is voice throwing really like something people can do properly effectively? Because I I was at my parents, it was, about, it was a while ago now at their house, and they'd got some new sound system for their telly. And I'm like, and then like, my dad's like, yeah, it's got this thing at the front, and then it bounces sound off the walls. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. So I sit down and I watch like some movie with like all of this surround sounds. And I'm like, holy sh this is actually incredible and then my dad's like oh yeah there are also two speakers behind the, the sofa and i'm like wait <laughs> wait so there's two speakers behind the sofa but is he supposed to magically throw the sound off the walls and he's like yeah yeah it's just enhanced by the speakers and i'm like well that immediately took the magic away because the sound that i thought was coming from behind me is coming from behind me rather than being bounced off some walls and then i was much less impressed because i mean it was still very cool and it was like you know really good sound but it wasn't magic and I know it's not magic when they bounce sound off walls and stuff, but I don't think it's quite as effective as it seems to be said to be. Unlike Kate Batts, we can't rule Betsy in or out for sure. In her later years, she didn't want to talk about the witch at all and was allegedly too scared to sleep alone. But whether this points to being a real victim or having a guilty conscience, well, who can say? Richard Powell. Oh yeah, he was the man who ended up marrying Betsy after her engagement to Joshua Gardner conveniently fell through. I'll just run you through some dates here to give you a better picture. Oh, do you think he likes her and he's like pretending it's haunted and all that sh so that she breaks up with him or like ruins their relationship? He's like, now you're mine. I don't know. That seems a bit of a stretch. <laughs> seems like enormously complicated to make that happen. <laughs> Betsy Ball was born in 1806. The Bell Witch event started in 1817 when she was 11 and finished in 1821, the same year her engagement apparently ended. Wait, she was engaged when she was... Uh, it was the past, but what does that make her? 15? When she would have been the grand old age of 15. There we go. I know people got married young and stuff in the past, but would she really have been engaged as a young teen? Also, people didn't get married as young as you think. It was still really unusual. Yeah, just the what there's two stats around this that blow my mind. I can't remember the exact details, but and I'm probably gonna screw them up. But it's like one, people in the past didn't get married as young as you think. 
um it was not that different from how it is today it was younger but not crazy difference it's not like 12 year olds were getting married unless they were like incestuous royals or something um and also the other one is i can't believe this is correct i feel like i must be getting this wrong but like half of marriages throughout all of history have been between cousins which is kind of mad thanks everyone goodbye mom goodbye dad goodbye friends goodbye free time maybe she was just promised a gardener as opposed to actually being engaged to him but even so it's still a bit icky there's also a theory that betsy was trying to save gardener as the witch had apparently killed john bell after going on about how much she hated him and as she was very opposed to gardener too maybe betsy thought that she was saving his life by caving to the witch's demand anyway in swoops richard powell who taught several bell children including betsy at the local small school oh yeah he's the weird teacher oh yeah that's this is a creepy story the past was creepy he apparently took a liking to her during this time <laughs> dude what the <laughs> gross yes and after she broke up with gardner he was there to console her and eventually they started a relationship and got married in 1824 ah how sweet except that betsy was a child and he was teaching her and they got married after several years of courtship and she was still only 18 and he was 29. yeah dude that's ah how sweet except by ah how sweet we mean like oh how fucking creepy anyway that aside why is richard powell even in the frame here well for one thing his full name was professor richard Raoul ptolemy powell which rhymes and just sounds really suspicious don't you think like the baddie in a children's book richard Raoul ptolemy powell decided he wanted a wife so he cooked up a spell to get betsy bell and now he was set up for life wait did you just make that up katie i'm very impressed by that that's really nice i just made that up but you get the idea love it is it possible that rrpp concocted a plot to break up the childhood sweethearts and get his disturbingly young prize does that seem like a totally over the top way of going th about things yeah that's what i kind of said at the beginning of the century it does seem a bit extreme but then we've already decided that this guy's a creep so uh how far does his creeping go why yes yes it does but get this power was already married during the time that he was mooning over a teenager but it was kept a total secret from everyone because his wife shock horror was actually older than he was his wife esther ended up dying in 1821 the very same year that betsy and joshua broke up and the bell witch packed up and left rather convenient no i'd say yes <laughs> Bao was a well-educated and smart man who ended up leaving teaching for politics and had a pretty successful career. While no mention of the Bell Witch events were found in his personal diaries, neighbors and students had reportedly heard him speaking in a foreign language when he thought nobody would be listening, and also came across a book that he had left open which was full of strange-looking text. When Powell saw that he left it open, he rushed to close it and put it away. This led some people to believe that he was dabbling in the occult, and maybe he was linked to the witch in some way. It wasn't because even if he thought he was summoning a witch to do his bidding, he wasn't, because it's not real he probably could have pulled off a series of tricks and practical jokes but apparently he was not at the house very often so it might not have been him pulling the strings after all he was the only one to really gain anything from this whole experience though if that means anything at all it does because motive is really important in establishing who's doing stuff because if there's no motive what's the reason attention-seeking teenager attention-seeking kid is a good reason i think that one is probably the most likely one so far i think it's a bit of a stretch to say that this guy like concocted this elaborate ploy it was the past just like i don't know call the other guy a witch or a wizard or some shit. john bell's death 
All right, we've introduced a few key players. Now I want to move on to the culmination of the whole thing. The death of John Bell. He did die, it's true, but was the witch to blame? What was going on with that poison? There are two theories here. One is that he just died of something that wasn't well known at the time, and the second is that he was murdered. Who would have wanted him dead? He was in a few disputes over various things with neighbors, but would that be enough for someone to want to do him in? Was it one of his children, for instance, Betsy, getting revenge for something that he might have done to her. In 2021, Dr. Megan Mann stated that the symptoms Bell was showing and the blue flame in the fire, etc., showed that he had died from arsenic poisoning. The list of suspects for that would include his slaves, and I would definitely stick his wife on there. Arsenic used to be found all over the place and would have been easy to get hold of on a farm. Did Lucy do away with her old man? When I looked up their information, I noticed that John Bell was 20 years older than his wife. She also inherited over 100 acres of land and Dean the slave when John died. Hmm. Could this whole thing have been cooked up by the missus and some willing, if unpaid, accomplices? I have to say, I forgot that he was poisoned. Um, are we sure that was what killed him? It seems very likely. Did I just totally miss something? Um, yeah, okay, so she, in 2021, an actual doctor thinks that he died from arsenic poisoning. I think that's incredibly likely. I think this has suddenly stuck, stuck out to me as by far the most likely thing that's going on. The wife kicks up, like, a sort of story around it, blah, blah, blah. It's the past. People believe anything. And then she poisons him and says it was a witch. Boom. Done. What's it called? The thing where it's uh, Occam's razor. The most obvious one is the answer, and I think yes. What well, I bothered to mention previously, but it seems pretty important now, is that the witch was always nice to Mrs. Lucy Bell. According to Ingram's account, the voice would sing to Lucy when she was ill and called her the most perfect woman living. I mean, wow, point the finger at yourself, actually, you see. So, from having barely had any interest in her at the start of the piece, Lucy Bell has suddenly shot up to the top of my suspect list. Oh my god, me too, Katie. She is guilty, and let's burn her. <laughs> Was the whole thing a convoluted plot to kill her husband, or was the poisoning coincidental with all of the paranormal shenanigans? Were the paranormal shenanigans even that shenanigany? We have the book written seven decades after the events, based on a manuscript no one's ever seen that was also written decades later by someone who was six at the time. Oh my god, I totally skipped over that. The guy who wrote it was six, the son? Oh no, sorry. Uh, uh, big brain, Simon. He was six when it happened. And now he wrote about it decades later when he was an adult. What do you remember from being six? You're six! So what I'm saying is most of the paranormal stuff probably didn't happen, or not to the extreme extent that we've come to believe. Other Loose Ends there are other bits that we can pull apart too. Sorry for the Bellwitch story lovers. Andrew Jackson makes a cameo appearance in the tale, lending a sheen of veracity to the whole thing, being as how he was based in Tennessee and later went on to become president. The only thing is, it doesn't seem likely that he was actually there. He did have property in the Red River area, and there is mention of John Bell in his journals, but there is nothing about the Bellwitch, which you think he might have jotted down. His movements are also relatively easy to pinpoint during the Bellwitch period, and he doesn't seem to have been in Red River when he was alleged to have shown up. The Bell Witch encounter does not appear in any diaries or journals of other men in his company either, so either they were all too scared to write about it, or this is just another embellishment added after the fact. You might also have heard about the Bell Witch Cave, a spooky-sounding cave on what remains of the Bell's property. The house that the witch haunted is long gone, but ghost stories have since been attached to the nearby cave with a generally friendly presence helping young 
young people who got lost or stuck in there. It was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 2008. Obviously, ghostly and supernatural stories are still big business in the world of entertainment, and this story paved the way for movies such as Poltergeist as well as birthing several films loosely based on the traditional Bellwitch story. The cave has popped up as a potentially haunted location in various TV shows, and in 2015, a miniseries was released by A&E called Curse the Bell Witch. And the money spinning begins. Here's the synopsis as a direct oh is this fictional oh it's a fictional miniseries okay that's fine that's fine you're just telling a story if history channel was onto this they'd be like hunting the bell witch we look through the history i watched some history channel stuff the other day the the ancient aliens one just to see how absurd it was it's absurd if i knew i wasn't gonna get claimed so hard on that reacting to that shit would be like watching it talking about how stupid it is God damn. As a direct descendant of the infamous Bell family, a man desperately tries to understand and, if possible, undo the curse to save his own child from being the next in line to be cursed. Well, according to all the various versions of the original story I read, no curse was mentioned, so I don't know what he's banging on about. The family survived this long, so I think he'll be okay. I didn't watch any of it, but I'm presuming nothing bad happened. So there you go. The legend, as we know, it was published some 70 years after the events and used information from someone who was six at the time and then wasted a few decades to write his account. And that's if this is even true. There is no evidence that the supposed primary source Ingram used for his book even exists. We do know that some Bellwitch events did happen, but in my opinion, the examples we have now are more than likely huge exaggerations and embellishments from newspaper editor Ingram. Yeah, no shit. It's just a story that's been blown hugely out of proportion, and it just seems most likely it was a, his wife made up some shit to kill him. <laughs> Allegedly, in my opinion. Maybe it was Betsy, her mother Lucy, or Richard Powell, plus accomplices, who were tricking John Bell and the rest of the town that there really was a malicious ghost on the loose. Maybe it was to get out of a marriage. Maybe it was to cover up a murder. To me, the possible motive seems more interesting than the supernatural events. Unfortunately, it seems that Ding Dong the Bell Witch is dead, and it's too late now to work out how or why these things were done. If you're interested in checking out the legend firsthand, there are tours that you can take of the cave and a replica of the Bell family house. And if you do hear spooky voices, maybe sneak a look at your tour guide first. Hmm? Yes, throw in their voice maybe. That's the Bell Witch story. Thank you so much for being here. If you enjoy this show, please do leave it a review. If you're watching on YouTube, hello there. Please like, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.